We're going to jump in. We're here to worship the Lord. We're here for prayer and praise and opening the Bible and allowing it to transform our hearts. Uh, so here we are, Thanksgiving week. This is one of those weeks that it always happens. The fads start, those fads that want all of our money, you know, those fads. And so I started thinking back, like, what are all the fads in my life that I've watched? What are all the ones that have been? And then I started to research. I got on the computer. It's not really research. I don't guess. But I started like, what are all the fads? All through, and I stopped at the 50s. Because in the 1950s, there was this thing that happened over a four-month period. Any of you in marketing, like, I would go back and study this if I was you. Because over four months, they sold 25 million units in four months. And here's what they did. Let's take a 3,000-year-old idea of playing with a circle, and let's repackage it, and let's call it a hula hoop. Let's call it, can any of you, like, you can do the hula hoop? Nope, nope. Carla, I asked you, okay, my mother-in-law's here. My mother-in-law's here, and I asked her last night, and she's like, yes, I used to be back in the 50s. It was the late 50s, but I could hula hoop back in the day, and I asked this question in front of everybody, and she just sat there and shook her head. Nope, I can't hula hoop. I can't do it. See, I thought about bringing one up here and hula hooping for you this morning, but I was afraid it would look kind of like this video. Watch this video. Not this girl. That's not what it would look like if I did it. That is not, watch this little dude. Watch him. I don't know what that noise is. I don't know. Watch him. Here he goes. <laughs> Look how happy he is. Yes. You know, in his head, he's like, I'm killing it. I'm doing it. One, li one more little shake. I'm tired. Now I'm out. Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's what I, would, I was afraid it would look like if I tried. Like in my mind, I would be able to get it. You know, I could do it. But in the reality, and so all of a sudden, sales came screeching to a halt. But Whammo was ready. They're like, next, we have the Frisbee. And guys, let me just read the list that I came up with. Here are things that all of a sudden have captured our attention that were like, why did it? Mood rings, lava lamps, CB radios, Chia Pets, Cabbage Patch dolls, Tickle Me Elmo, Beanie Babies, WWJD bracelets, every video game console, exercise equipment, figurines, small kitchen appliances. Let's just stop there. Why do we do that? Why do we do it? But we do, don't we? Here, I got advice. You're going to love me. Here's what I want you to do. Guys, say no. Just say no. And what I want you to do is just wait. Eventually, Michigan will thaw. It's going to be April or May, but eventually it will thaw, and people are going to have garage sales. That may not come till June, but garage sales will start. And when they do, all this stuff that we just had to have, all this, they're going to pay. They're going to pay you to take it away. Like, it's going to be awesome because they're going with the cabinet space, right? So why do we do that? Why, why do we, why, here's, the answer's real simple. We do it to ourselves because he has one or she has one and they like it, so I want it, right? That's why they do it. Guys, I'm so fired up about this morning. I really am. This is it. Today is the last week of our sermon series called Blueprints. If you are joining us for the very first time, I just, one, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. But I want you to know this sermon series has been taking a deep dive into the Ten Commandments. That's what we've been talking about, the Ten Commandments. In fact, take your Bibles right now, open up to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, as you're turning there, I just want to help lay the foundation. 
The foundation is the tenth and final commandment. The tenth and final commandment is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. I want to read it to you. The Word of God says this. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's, which brings us to our big idea. The big idea, if you remember one thing today and you forget everything else, the one thing I want you to remember is do not covet. Do not. But covet's not a word we use a lot, is it? No, we just don't. Here's what it means. It comes from a Hebrew word, hamad. Hamad literally means to desire something. To desire. Now, desire's not bad. There's nothing wrong with wanting something. There's nothing wrong with desiring. It's when that something belongs to someone else that it's sinful. Now, in this case, we are commanded to not desire or covet our neighbor's house. It doesn't mean bricks and mortar. It doesn't mean like, well, my neighbor has a game room. Like, I, I ought not. No, because this is a nomadic people that received this command. They lived in tents, y'all. Like, so they're not, they're, they're not coveting bricks and mortar. Quite literally, what the, what's being said right here is don't desire, don't covet the wife, the child, the life, the anything that belongs to them. Now, I think the thing with this particular commandment is oftentimes it's not really a, a gateway. It's more of like a springboard to break many commandments. I would go so far as to say I've never seen anyone break this commandment without breaking many commandments. That makes sense. You see that example in Scripture. If you take Achan, for example, Joshua chapter 7, Hebrew people, Jericho had fallen. They were told everything needs to be destroyed, everything. And yet Achan, what he did is he lied, he stole, he coveted, and what did he do? He took the treasure and buried it under his tent. So he didn't just break one command, he broke a whole gob of them, right? Or we could look at Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 21, he had this very weird, obsessive desire with Naboth's vineyard, and so what did he do? Well, he lied, he murdered, or the example we always go to is King David, isn't it? Second Samuel chapter 11 and 12, he looked out across and he saw Bathsheba there. Bathsheba was married, and he coveted someone that didn't belong to him, and so he lied, he murdered, he coveted. He was an adulterer over and over and over. What you just see is this pattern go out of control. And so when you covet, you want something, you desire something that doesn't belong to you. Don't miss this. I think this is huge. Essentially what you're doing in that moment is you're saying, God, what you have given me is not enough. When you do that, when you say, I want, I desire something that doesn't belong to me, it belongs to someone else, what you're saying is, God, what you have given me is not enough. Now, we all have this tendency, church. We all struggle with it. So how do we battle against it? Well, we battle against it the same way that we battle against the temptation of sin for all the other commands, and that is by following the one who fulfilled every single command, and that is Jesus. So in Luke chapter 12, let me set the scene. Luke chapter 12, the popularity of Jesus is at an all-time high in that moment. It is so much so that the crowds are pressing against Jesus just to hear him teach. And so Jesus in that moment says, I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to have high challenge in this moment. 
So he says, here's what it means. You want to be my disciple? Here's what it means. And he gets very, very tough. And he talks about uh, the, the religious hypocrisy. He talks about the importance of fearing God more than enemies. And in that moment, as he is really leaning in with some tough teaching, there's a man who's just kind of crawling all over, over everybody, and he's getting his way closer and closer and closer. And he gets close enough that he just kind of right in the middle of the scene. He says, hey, Jesus, I want to talk about what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, can you imagine that? Interrupting Jesus. Can, but he does. He interrupts Jesus. I mean, think about it. We have so many people who come to church this morning. No one has stood up in the middle of church service and said, actually, pastor, I want you to preach about something else. Like, no one has done that. But that's what this guy just did to Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. <laughs> we just got to say, what? Like, right in the midst of Jesus' teaching, you're going to say, hey, I want you to give a ruling to my brother on how she, he should handle the inheritance. On today's time, we have laws for the inheritance, don't we? There are laws in place. You have an executor of the will. You have all this stuff because it's supposed to protect that process. The same is true in the first century. If you go back to Deuteronomy 21, Numbers chapter uh, 27 and chapter 36, it lays out how they're supposed to handle the inheritance. But sometimes, sometimes there's a little loophole. Sometimes there's margin for debate, just like today. And so he starts shouting at Jesus, tell my brother to rule on my side. And that's when Jesus at first is going to step away. At first, Jesus is like, I, I've got other things I'm trying to talk about. But then Jesus starts to lean in. And Jesus starts to teach on this exact question. And as he does, he really gives us three key challenges, and the first one is to be on guard against all covetousness. You need to guard against covetousness. Look at chapter 12, starting in verse 15. Luke writes this. He writes, and he said to them, meaning Jesus said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. Now let's pause. Picture the scene. Jesus is standing there. The crowd is just pressing around. And the word of God says, he said to them. Did you see that pronoun? You got to slow down sometimes when you're reading the Bible. This one man shouted out the question to Jesus. Jesus did not address him directly. Jesus addressed the crowd. Do you see that? He addressed them. He's addressing us. And look what he says. He says, be on guard against all covetousness. You need to be on watch. You need to be on guard. This would have been a military phrase. This is a soldier guarding a prisoner. Do you remember Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. Right? But that, that's not really accurate. They're, on, they're in the innermost part of the prison. It's the most secure part of the prison. And then there's an earthquake. And what happened with the earthquake? All the prison doors, they flew open. Right? All prison doors flew open. And the guard in that moment, he wanted to take his own life. Why? Well, he knew the punishment. He knew the punishment. If he failed to beware and be on guard, he knew the penalty. Now, some of you, you know what this means to be. This isn't passive. Jesus is saying when it comes to battling against all covetousness, you can't be, none of you can be passive. He addressed the whole crowd, not this man. He address, he's addressing us. You have to be active and engaged and on guard, not passive. 
Did you see all those babies up here this morning? Did you see them? Those parents, oh my goodness, they're in for it, aren't they? Because those kids, they're going to grow, and they're going to start crawling, and then they're going to start walking, and there's going to be someone in that parental relationship who will be very good at being on guard. That was Amy. Amy was so good about being on guard with our two boys. We have two boys, and they're, they're big and furry-faced and everything now, right? They're, they're big now, but when they were little, she could be talking to 20 people, and it was like a magic eyeball circling all around her head at all times. Not as much with our oldest, because our oldest, he was kind of like a little nervous Nelly. He went to hold her hand at all t- until he's like 16, you know, and then he had flappers his hands, and they were always sweaty, and it was gross. And anyway, with Ian, we didn't really have to be on guard, but with Gabe, my youngest, you would say, Gabe, that fireplace is hot. No, don't touch it. And you know what he'd do? How hot is it? You know, he'd want to walk out over and check it out. He just, he wanted to see for himself, right? He's like, I just, I just got to see. And so Amy was always, so she could be talking to people. And if Gabe's getting too close to the fireplace, poof, you know, she's over there. She's on guard constantly. She's vigilant. She's on watch. There was one time, I don't, I don't know what I was doing. I really don't. I don't know if I was reading or sleeping. I was there, but I don't know what I was doing. Uh, So Amy is in the middle of talking to people. And we were by a swimming pool, and Gabe, of course, he doesn't want to wear floaties because he's a big boy who almost drowned himself because he jumped in the pool. And Amy, I don't know how she knew, but she knew, right, the magic eye. And she's in the pool. She's pulling him out of the water, putting him back. to. She's always on watch. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says this isn't something that you can ignore because coveting happens subtly. Be on guard. Be watching. And real fast, you and I, we're not created to be passive anyway, are we? We're not. We're not created to be apathetic people. When God created the garden, he created Adam and Eve. You know what Adam did not say, or God did not say to Adam? God did not say, hey, Adam, why don't you just go sniffing up some flowers today? That'd be plenty enough for you to do. Just sniff up some flowers. That's good. He didn't tell him that. He didn't say, hey, Adam, why don't you go sit under the tree? Read a good book, watch some Netflix, live the life. Like, he didn't tell him that. You know what he said? He said, Adam, I want you to subdue the earth. He said, Adam, I've given the earth so much potential. You don't even have any idea right now. There's so much potential in the earth, and I want you to take, and I want you to unleash it. That's what I want you to do, Adam. I want you to work but it's a good work. I want you to work, and I want you to unlock that potential, subdue the earth. And you guys know what happened. The fall happened. Sin happened. And so today, so many in this room, you have to fight against apathy, don't you? You have to fight against being passive in your life and being productive. But what Jesus is saying here, sometimes we can, as we're fighting that, we go way too far, and we start to covet Which means to look at this and look at that and say, it's not mine, but I want it. Jesus says, you've got to be vigilant. You've got to be on guard. You've got to beware and be on guard. And because when you are, it moves you to the next step and you're able to evaluate desires properly. Evaluate your desires properly. Look back at Luke 12 again. He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Man, somehow this man, he was so tricked up. He was just feet away from Jesus. Do you understand that? We just have a group that just, I think there were seven who went. Did anyone, anyone in here go to Israel? Did we have? 
There we go. All right, so here's, I need to talk to you after the service, by the way, and I'm being very serious. There's something cool in February I want us to do. But they got to walk in the steps of Jesus as he's talking about the eye of the needle. Like, they got to stand there and be like, oh, my goodness, this is it. Walking in the steps of, I can't, that's on my bucket list. Like, that's one of those things I want to do in life. I want to go and stand there. I want to sit there and say, there's the Sea of Galilee. Are you kidding me? This is where the Sermon on the Mount went down. And, like, here I am. Like, I, I want to do that. Like, I want to. This guy was steps away from Jesus, not where he used to walk. He was steps away from him in the flesh right then and there. The miracle maker, the rabbi, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was feet away. And what did he say? Well, I want to talk about what's going to make me happy. And what would really make me happy is what my brother's got. That's what I want. He totally ignored who Jesus was in John 10.10. It says, I have come that you can have life and you can have it abundantly. The one who can give abundant life was steps away from him and he missed it. Or in, in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. That's where this man is. He is steps away from that and he missed it. And what he's thinking is, in my life, I will have joy. I'm going to have happiness if I can just get this money, if I can have this stuff. And church, I don't know what the thing is that you covet. I don't, I, I don't know. But I know it's a struggle. For you, maybe it's that job. Maybe you're, you're thinking, if I get that job, if I move up the org charts, like if I do that, then, then I can be happy. Then I can have joy in my life. You know, if I get that car, if I get physically... If I can hit this physical goal that I have, whatever it is, I want to work out and I want to look good. And if I, can, if I can hit this magic goal, if I can do that, then, then I can be happy. Then I can be satisfied. If I get this house, if I get this car, if I get this, we could go on and off. If I get this degree, if I can get out of singleness, if I can get out of marriage, if I can get, we get all these things thinking that's what, and what you do in that place is you create idols, church. Do you, do you, an idol, an idol is an earthly thing that we have that replaces God. It's something in your life that you make God. And so all of a sudden, you become satisfied with an idol. And that's probably it's what Paul said, right? Paul, I, Paul said it first. I didn't say it. Here's what he says in Colossians 3, 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. He says the same thing in Ephesians 5.5. 5. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So it's with that background knowledge that we're going to go back to Luke 12 again. Because in Luke 12, this man has asked Jesus a question. Hey, can you address my brother and the inheritance? I want what he has. And Jesus, in this moment, with the crowd listening, can you even start to picture this? Jesus launches into a parable. Verse number 16 says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I'll, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. And I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store up all my grain and my goods. And then I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. 
And God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So this man thought, I'm going to have joy in my life. I'm going to feel okay in Jesus' story. I'm going to feel okay if I get bigger barns. They can be red and shiny. That'd be great. If I could have a hula hoop. If I only had a hula hoop, boy, then, then I would be happy. You see, being passive isn't something that Creech guys tend to struggle with. It's just not our struggle. And so from the time my boys were little bitty, I've been asking about their goals in life. You know, you're five. You should have a goal in life by now, you know, and <laughs> couldn't help myself, right? Asking go. And so by the time they're seven and eight, you know what the answer is going to be. Same thing all little boys want to say, right? And so they're like, I want a Lambo. Dad, if I had a Lamborghini, then I would be happy. And my answer was, son, just take me for a ride. Like, that'd be awesome. Take so if you have a Lamborghini, and I'm being very sincere, and I want to go for a ride because I've never ridden in one. I've taken lots of photos of them. But, like, really, I want a ride. Like, that'd be really, really cool. So anyway, back to the story. Like, really, I'm not kidding. I'd like a ride. And um, so talking to the boys, I, I would start to ask the question, and then what? I mean, you get the Lamborghini. Their, their goals have changed as they, they've gotten older. And it's like, okay, instead I want this degree. Or if I become a doctor, if I become an attorney, or if I get my PhD, or if I can go see where Braveheart ran around with swords, or if I can. They've always got these things, these goals, these dreams, these desires. And my question always goes back to, and then what? And I would ask you the same thing, and then what? Whatever it is that you're coveting, and then What? See, my question to them doesn't say a degree is bad, education is bad, those jobs are bad, money is bad. That's not what I'm asking. I'm saying, who's the heart of who you want to be as a man? That's what I'm asking them. Who are you in here? Which then takes us to our very last point. You should find your contentment in Christ. Your contentment has to be found in Christ. And I think that's the right addition only. In Christ only, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's where we're supposed to be rich. We're supposed to be rich toward God, and yet you're surrounded by it every day. Maybe you've allowed yourself to get elbow deep into it where your contentment is not found in the Lord. You start to find your contentment in everything else, and Solomon spoke about that in Ecclesiastes. He said in chapter 4, verse 4, then I saw all the toil and all the skill and the work that comes from a man's envy of his neighbor, this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. That's Solomon's way of saying it, it, was, it was pointless. Of everything in your life, your identity in the Lord, that should be of your highest priority. And we see that lived out by Jesus. Matthew 4, he says that man cannot live on bread alone. John chapter 4, he says, my food is to do the will of my Father. We need food, water, shelter. Right? Jesus said of the most basic of necessities when it comes to food. He said, it is more important for me to do the will of my Father, to be on mission, than it is to eat. It's more important to me to make sure I'm doing the will of the Father. Are, are you there is that where you're at? Is that where, where you're being driven is to say, I, I want that place of my identity to be in the Lord, of my contentment to be in Him and Him alone? If you're sitting there thinking, I just don't see how you would do that, well, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you 
nor forsake you. We get to be satisfied. We get to be satisfied just being in the presence of an ever-present Savior. Isn't that beautiful? You know people like that, don't you? You know people who when you get near them and you hear their story and you hear what drives them, you're like, everything about you is just driven by the Lord. Maybe it's someone in your, in your small group. Maybe it's CT and Meg. Or you, you have people around you. And I just want you to know as a church, that's why we do the things that we do. If you look at our time of worship, our time of worship of singing and praising, it's not about Christian got talent. Like, that's not what that is. It's not like we're trying to impress you with the, the, the musical powers. That's, it's, it's a time where all of us, men and women, we join our voices together, and we get a snapshot of heaven in that moment. That's what heaven is. It's all of our voices joining in with this anthem forever. That's what it's about, right? How incredible is that? That's why we, so if you go into that time of worship and your arms are crossed and your hands are in your pocket and your jaws clenched, you're, you're missing an opportunity. Your contentment is being found in something else, someone else besides the Lord. Or, or maybe it's in the way that you give. You've seen people who are incredibly generous, haven't you? They're so generous and they find so much joy in being generous. That's why we give you opportunities constantly to be generous. You've seen people in the way that they serve. Now, if you fill out a communication card before and you said, hey, I want to serve for this, and for whatever reason, no one called you, like, don't all of a sudden go, well, I tried to volunteer. I'm out. I'm good for life now because I tried to volunteer that one time. Like, <laughs> you can't do that. Like, you should still take those opportunities to serve. When you hear about opportunities, be quick to jump in and be part of the family of believers. In that place, that's where you find your contentment in him and him alone. Or speaking of service, here's one more thing I want to tell you about. Uh, we actually have a family that they heard what's happening with CT and Meg, and we've been talking to them for, for a season now. We've been, we've been talking to them. I'll tell you more about them next week. But there's a family who said, we want to commit to go as missionaries to the Lapeer campus. This is our home but we want to go for the next year and just be there to serve, to be the hands and feet and, and serve that campus and work alongside CT and Meg and work. I know there are families in here right now who that's how they came to Romeo. They came to Romeo from the Troy campus to say, we want to come and, and, and just help in the work. We want to be faithful in this place. And so maybe that's you. That's what I'm saying. Maybe the Lord has been stirring in you for some time and you just didn't know for what. You knew, like, Lord, I know you're calling me to do something. I don't know. And today you're crystal clear on what that is. You know you're supposed to go to the Lapeer campus with CTM Meg and to serve for a season as missionaries. Hey, if that's you, talk to me at the end of the service. CT will be out in the lobby. Talk to CT. If you can't get to us because there's just a lot of people there, please fill out a communication card. Don't think about this and say, I intend to say something later. Fill out the communication card today. Get it turned in so that we can have more conversations with you. Today, I really just want to end with a question. What are you chasing in life? I'm, and I'm not being rhetorical. I, I really want to know, what are you chasing in life? I think some of you, you, you chase your favorite news station. You face your politicians. You chase them. You, chase, you want to be right, so you chase that chase the finances, you chase that. The health, you, know, you chase that. 
What do you, what do you chase in life? What have you found that's worth giving your life to? See, Jesus, when he leaned in to teach that day, it wasn't an easy teaching. He said, it's going to cost you everything. For some in this room, you need to give your life to Christ because you've never done that. You've chased everything else under the sun. You just never stopped and you've never said, Lord, I believe. I believe. I, I believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect and sinless life. He did what I can't do on my own. I've tried and I couldn't do it. He was crucified. He took the sin from a, a just and righteous God. The sin, the price of sin that I was supposed to pay, he paid the sin. He paid the price for all of my sin. And on the third day, he conquered death. He conquered sin. He rose from the grave. And I place my faith and my trust in that truth. Maybe you've never done that. How's the Lord calling you out today? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for a high calling that we have through your holy word. We thank you that we have lives that aren't called to be passive or apathetic. Lord, I ask that you forgive us. I know that so often we allow toe holds and wiggle room for the enemy to come in and we do start to covet. So, Lord, let us repent of that today. Let us turn from that. Let us cut that junk out of our lives. We want, we want our identity to be wrapped up in you. We want our contentment in life to be from you. You alone. Because, Lord, it's in that transformative place that everything changes that your name becomes a desire of our hearts. And Lord, it helps us to be on mission. It helps us to see people the way you see people. It helps us to look in the mirror and see ourselves the way that you see us. But more than anything, it helps us to see you lifted high and exalted. So Lord, continue to do a work in us. Continue to help us be a better reflection of you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, will you stand as we worship together?